Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Gosh, good on you, man, for your being here. And uh, it's just a great joy to have Gabe here. Um, you may not have heard the story, but in 2017, uh, we were doing a, a road trip, on the Great Ocean Road down the south southern part of Victoria. And uh, we had the radio on. And um, Franklin Graham was on the radio and he was talking about interviewing 5,000 uh, uh, Christian refugees in Syria and um, talking about their stories and what had taken place. And at the time, we were just so moved in our heart because we, we felt like the Lord said to us, uh, when do we as a church talk about the persecuted church and when do we as a church actually pray for the persecuted church? And back in 2017, we were probably like most churches and went, well, we don't. We don't talk about the persecuted church that much and we don't pray and so it was a real wake-up call for us as a local church because since then uh, we're partnering with open doors but also specifically every tuesday night in our prayer meeting we pray for the persecuted church because you know what they're our brothers and sisters in chains and we need to be praying for them amen so i want you to give gabe a very warm shall have a community church welcome this morning amen mate thanks so much thank you so much it's a pleasure to be here thank you shane thank you it is incredible to have churches like you that partner with the ministry. We're grateful for churches like yours that realize, hold on, there is a global church around the world that we need to be a part of because we're one body around the world. This church, um, basically, I started working for Open Doors, and um, as soon as I said that I'm coming to speak at Shell Harbor Community Church, my team said, oh, John and Jill, John and Jill Hannah are there, and they're incredible because they have served our ministry and the global persecuted church for decades. And so you've got legends in the house. I'm grateful. And I thought I'd quickly tell you how I first heard of Open Doors because it was actually in a youth camp. It was in a youth camp. I was 15 years old, um, sitting in, on the floor and probably more concerned with if the girl I liked liked me back, wasn't really listening to what was going on. Grew up in church, and so just went to church every Sunday. So this was nothing new and nothing special at the time. But I sat there, and the person started sharing. It was actually a representative of Open Doors in Switzerland, where I grew up, by the way. Um, and he started sharing of the stories of the persecuted church. And I remember sitting there hearing stories of 13, 14-year-old children. They were younger than me at the time. that had given up everything for their faith. They weren't able to go to school. They weren't able to take communion together in church. They weren't able to sing songs in their youth camps. They didn't have any of the realities I had. They were sharing my faith, but not my freedom. And I remember something changed in that moment where I realized I'm not living my faith alone. I'm not living my relationship with Jesus alone. There's a global body of believers that I can learn from, but that I have a responsibility to serve, to support, to strengthen. And that's really what I love about the ministry of Open Doors. I'm preaching to the uh, converted. You've heard of the ministry. You know what we're doing, but this is really the core, that we can connect local churches around the world with the persecuted church so we can learn from them and that we can support them. And today I'm here to, uh, to, to share a lesson I learned from the persecuted church. A lesson that I believe is crucial as we walk and follow Jesus courageously in our lives. 
And so before I start, pray with me as we begin. Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege it is to, to worship you in community, publicly, shouting your name without having to be afraid of what the consequences of that would be. Lord, I pray that as we, as we hear from, from your word today, as, as I share, that you'd use my words, that you'd impact us, Lord, that this wouldn't just be another Sunday where we come to church and leave, but that we would encounter you, Holy Spirit, that you would change us, that you would challenge us and inspire us for what you want to do in our lives to the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen. To begin with, I'd like you to meet Na Nadia, Helen, telling too many stories. Helen is a believer in Eritrea, and she, she grew up as a non-Christian, became a Christian fairly young, and, and was part of a church that was evangelizing. Now, you might think that's kind of what the church is there to do, but in Eritrea, it's illegal to share Jesus. It's illegal to evangelize. You can be a Christian, you can go to church, but you're not able, you're not allowed to share about your faith. Helen was part of a church, as I said, that was big on evangelism. And so they started, they got a group together. She was a worship leader, and they started writing a worship album that they were going to release without any restrictions, to everyone to hear. They wrote the songs, and they released it. And a few days after, the authorities came and, and imprisoned the worship team, the people responsible for writing the worship songs. Helen was, was part of that group, as I said, and she was put in prison. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of prison, I, I'm from Switzerland, so I think of a nice, clean, white cell with a TV and a bed. You get good food, and you lose a couple of years in your life, but that's really it. Helen's reality of prison was different. She was moved to the desert of the country and put in a shipping container. The shipping container was packed with people. During the day, it would get so hot that you'd burn your skin on the walls if you touched it. And during the night, she said she'd almost freeze to death. Helen lived in that shipping container for two years. Every day, she said, bugs would crawl on your skin and eat your skin. There was no toilets, there was no shower, food was scarce, and they were beaten daily. Helen told me that every day she would write new worship songs and continue to praise God. And she literally said it like, I was beaten and then I wrote a worship song. And then I was beaten again and I wrote a new worship song. And I remember that moment hearing that story. I asked myself, what happens to me? What happens to my faith when things go, go pear-shaped in my life? Is my first response to write a new worship song I'm not a songwriter, so I probably wouldn't do that anyway. But is my first response to praise God? Or is it to blame God? Is it to ask God why this is happening to me, that it's unfair and not just? Helen's response was, thank you, God, that you're with me right here. Thank you, Jesus. On the Zoom call, I met her. She started singing, and the songs were beautiful beautiful songs of thanksgiving, constantly thanking God. For what? She did have nothing to thank God for in that moment, in that cell, in that shipping container, other than his presence, other than the fact that Jesus walked this earth, 
to prove, to show us that he's not going to leave us nor forsake us in the hardest of times. That he's gone through suffering so that he knows what it means when we're going through the same suffering. And it's this beautiful testimony to me. And the lesson I want to talk about today is, is a ruthless determination to praise. The persecuted church teaches us to have a ruthless determination to praise. No matter the circumstances we're in. See, Helen multiple times had the opportunity to deny her faith or to deny her willingness to share the gospel and she would be free. They'd come to her with a piece of paper, contract, that she would sign. And if she would sign it, she'd be free. But every time she looked at the guards and she said, you don't understand. Jesus is the medicine of the world and he must be shared. There's no way that I'm going to live a life as a Christian unable to tell people about Jesus because he's the medicine of the world and he must be shared. Now, I don't know about you, but that's what I believe. I believe that Jesus is the medicine of the world. All the issues that are going on could be solved if we bring, if we bring people to the throne of God, if we introduce them to Jesus. But am I living with the same conviction as Helen? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. One time she was somehow writing encouraging Bible verses, Bible passages on a piece of paper and passing it along to other prisoners that didn't have any hope, that were about to give up. Even to prison guards, she handed them out. Every time she would be found out, she would get beatings. And that one time, the guard walked up to her and said, I've had enough. Tell me where your Bible is hidden. Tell me now. She said, I don't, I don't have a Bible. And he realized that she had memorized the scriptures. And so he started beating her on her head, trying to beat the Bible out of her. He beat her so severely that she was rushed to the hospital. And there she was left to die, basically. She wasn't supposed to survive. Luckily, some partners have opened doors in a hospital she was shipped to in Sudan, ran into her, found her, and helped her to get back to strength, made sure that she's able to to walk again, to live a normal life, and now she has asylum in Denmark. She's living a life like you and I. She told, she told me on that call, she said, you know, in that prison cell, on that hospital bed, when, when the Open Doors partners came, I felt the global church praying for me. I felt the support of my, my brothers and sisters around the world praying for me, and I felt your support through the workers of Open Doors. And it made me go, this is, this is why we do this. This is exactly why we do this, because there's millions of believers around the world that are right now imprisoned, they're being beaten, they're not having any food, they're not getting medication while having COVID because they're following Jesus. And all they're holding on to is their reality that Jesus hasn't left them and that there's a global body of believers supporting them. That there's a global body of believers praying for them, sacrificing for them, so that they can continue to share the gospel courageously in the midst of persecution. It's this de determination to praise God no matter what. Turn with me to Acts 16, a passage that to me comes to life only because my understanding, my knowledge of the persecuted church. As I said, I grew up in, in the church and went to church every Sunday of my life, I can think back. But for so many of my years... I thought this book is, it's got cool stories, 
It's got nice things about me or what Jesus says about me, but I just wasn't so sure if it's actually true. These stories were from 2,000 years ago. How, how would we know if this is true? How would we know if this Paul guy really was as faithfully committed to Jesus, risking everything for his life, for his faith in Jesus? And so in, in chapter 16, we pick up the story. Paul and Silas are walking through the city of Philippi. They're about to tell people of Jesus, and they're being bugged by this lady, this woman that is, is possessed by an evil spirit. For days, it says, they're annoyed by her. For days, she follows them and shouts at them. And this is an incredible story, or one sentence where Paul turns around, he's annoyed about it, and he casts out the spirit. He says, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. I love that we don't get any more information. I'm like, Luke, when you wrote this, I need more details. If someone prays for someone to be freed from a spirit, how is that just normal? How do we not get more information? And I realize in my own life, that's not normal. But in Paul's, that was the everyday. They're advancing the kingdom of God. Step by step, they were there to announce the freedom that Jesus brings. And as we read in the story, it pushes the darkness back, and the result is persecution. Because the owners of that woman were making a lot of money through her fortune-telling. So when they realized that Paul and Silas had set, them, had set her free, they caught him, and they started persecuting them. In verse 22, we pick it up. It says, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. And then here it comes in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. It's that part of the story that I find so fascinating, because for so long I read these stories of Paul, thinking... How can someone be imprisoned for their faith that they're serving Jesus with and then praising Jesus for it? If I would be imprisoned because I just helped someone, set someone free, I would be furious. F furious. Here's my ESL. Furious. I'd be angry. Not so Paul and Silas. In verse 25, we read, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I don't think they started at midnight. I think it's their posture of heart they entered prison with. Because they understood Jesus wasn't going to leave them in the middle of that. It's the same with Helen. After being in prison for writing worship songs, she continued to praise God. This is ruthless determination to praise God no matter the circumstances. And I believe as Christians here in Australia, we need to hear those lessons. And we need to ask ourselves, what is our response when trials come our way? Are we running to God? Are we praising God through it all? Or are we starting to blame Him? See, the second part of the sentence, and the other prisoners were listening to them. If you praise God in the middle of dark times, people are listening. People who have gone through the same things without the strength or hope you have are watching. 
Verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains, chains came loose. Everyone's chains came loose. Not just the ones of Paul and Silas. Not just the ones of the Christians. Not just the ones of, that follow Jesus. Everyone's chains came loose. As Christians, we have a responsibility in our society to continue praising God so that other people around us would be impacted by it. See, we're not living our lives for our own. We're not living our Christian walk for our own. What the persecuted church teaches us is that we're here to spend ourselves for others, to invite ourselves into the walk with Jesus that we're on, inviting them on the journey. Come follow me as I follow Jesus. Because really, that's what we're all about, people meeting Jesus. And I love that I can read passages like Acts 16 and go, this is true because I know people that are still living lives like these. I know people that are praising God in the middle of darkness, in the middle of the prison, in the middle of trial and suffering today. Now you might say, well, Helen's delivery wasn't quite like the one Paul and Silas experienced. And I agree. But I want to remind you of a, of a story in the Old Testament of the, the faith of three men. In Daniel 3, we have a story of three men that are denying to bow down before a king other than Yahweh. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're asked to worship this new king, and they denied it. And so they're threatened to be thrown into this furnace of fire. And listen to what they say. In verse 17, if, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God you have set up. It is that that Helen stood on. She said, I know my God will deliver me from this, but even if he doesn't, I will not sign this paper saying I'm not allowed to evangelize. And so I love it that we can read the scriptures, be encouraged by these stories, and know that today there is Christians like you and I Followers of Jesus, living today, that are experiencing this and are saying, I know my God will deliver me, but even if he doesn't, I will still serve him. Because Jesus is the medicine of the world, and he must be shared. See, as a ministry, this is what we're all about, making sure that you can hear the stories of the persecuted church and be inspired by them. I'm passionate about the fact that you don't think or that you don't feel like there's a persecuted church out there that are just better Christians than we are. That are just saints like Paul and the people in the New Testament. Because what they would want you to know is that they admire us for following Jesus in the distractions we have. Helen told me when she moved to Denmark, she all of a sudden experienced all these distractions of the comfort that she had now. She didn't feel zealousness to, to tell people about Jesus because she wasn't experiencing the same pressure. And it encouraged me because I realized God is going to give me the strength I need in the time I need it. 
But what I need to do is I need to make sure I keep following him in the trial. That I'm not going to stop praising him when things go hard, when things become difficult, when I start suffering. Because God will come through in the midst of it. And it might not look like a miraculous deliverance, but he will show up with me in the fire. The story in Daniel, the men are thrown into the fires, but there's a fourth man around them, protecting them. And a miracle happens and they survive. Our kind of God is the God that is with us in the middle of the suffering. And the persecuted church is testimony to that. Around the world, there's 340 million Christians that are experiencing persecution for their faith. They're sharing the same faith as you and I. They just don't have the same freedom. But they are the testimony for us to say God has not left or forsaken us. Because first of all, he's with them right now. And second of all, there's a global body of believers that are going to stand up and strengthen one another. As we are learning the lessons of faith from them, they need our support. They need the ministries around the world that come alongside them and give them what they need in their times of difficulty and need. In the Middle East, we've seen an incredible exodus of, of Christians. So many Christians had to flee and leave countries like Iraq or Syria because of the war, which has left cities like Mosul that used to have about 45,000 Christian families, now having about 35 families that we know of that are Christians. And so as a ministry, we're coming alongside these families, establishing centers of hope, making sure that they can continue to follow Jesus, making sure that they can continue sharing their faith with the people around them and that people hear about Jesus in a country where the Christian presence is disappearing. I had a quote before I show you this video about our projects in Iraq from a believer named Khan. Khan said this. He was, he's in Central Asia and we were helping him basically get away from an incredibly difficult environment. People were persecuting him. They're ruining his homes, his livestock. And we offered him to move him to a safer place. And I think it's on the screen. He said, you know, if I leave, who will tell them about Jesus? How can they learn about him if not through me? The more brutally they beat me, the more I saw their need for a loving Messiah. That is the reality for so many Christians around the world. They could leave, but they understand that if they leave, who will tell these people about Jesus? Who will tell their neighbors about the love and forgiveness and grace they've received from Jesus? See, it's that heart for God and their neighbor that fascinates me. It inspires me. And it makes me draw near and close to Jesus on a daily basis so that I can know Jesus like these people seem to know him. I want to know Jesus on a basis, on an intimacy that I want to tell everyone. Not because I have to. Not because my pastors tell me to. Not because my parents tell me to. But because I know Jesus and I want everyone else to know him too. See, Christianity isn't about playing this game of coming to church on a Sunday and singing songs and being good people. It's about knowing the Savior 
of the universe, the creator of the universe, on a personal, intimate level. And being able to walk with him hand in hand through this thing called life. Making sure that everyone we encounter, we don't judge, we don't tell them what to do, we simply point them into the direction we're walking in. Pointing them to the Savior, the Jesus that we've received forgiveness from. That we've been set free by. That we want to serve with everything we have in our lives. I want to quickly show you this video of our work in Iraq to give you an idea of what we're doing around the world. incredible, isn't it? When that woman said that she has the same dreams as everyone else, it makes me realize that there's so many believers around the world that don't have the ability to say, God, what do you want, what, what do you want me to do with my life? What do you want me to study? Where do you want me to go travel? All they've got is their relationship with Jesus, where they're at. Constantly having a bag packed under their beds in case they have to flee again. Some pastors have their bags packed under their bed because they know they'll go to prison. It's not a if question, but rather a when. And so you've received these 
pamphlets, these seed drops, pamphlet, I don't know if that's the right word, seed drops when you walked into church today. And it's your ability to put your hand up and say, I want to participate in supporting the global church. I want to support my brothers and sisters around the world that share my faith, but not my freedom. I think there's a quote. Oh, perfect. There's the, the QR code. We're all used to these in cafes. You can either scan that at the back of the seat drop or just go to the website. And basically what we're asking you to do is, is to match a subscription in your life. We all have our Spotify's and Apple Music and Netflix and Stan and we need them all because different movies are in different ones. So we need to have five TV subscriptions. And what I understand you're in like... Your church is doing so many things for this community. You've got missions you support. I want nothing of that to stop. We're not asking you to stop giving to the work you're supporting. But I'm asking you, out of all the subscriptions in your life, could you add one for the survival of the persecuted church? For $39 a month, you can play your part in making sure that we can build centers of hope in the Middle East. That we can come alongside women like Helen. People like Khan helping them to continue sharing their faith courageously in the midst of persecution, making sure that they have a community where they can come back to and actually receive food in the midst of a pandemic, make sure that they get face masks when they're not allowed to get them from the government just because they're Christians. With those $39 a month, you're enabling us to help those in need, those that need the most. We're, as I said, trying to help 340 million Christians around the world that are struggling. There's more than 10 times the population of Australia. And it's beautiful because the persecuted church knows that the global church, the free church in Australia, is praying for them and supporting them with what they can. One of our partners in Iraq said, oh, when we asked how can we pray for you all, oh, you know, we're just so grateful for you in Australia. The Australian church is like our older brother. They're looking out for us, they're praying for us, and we're so grateful for you. And it's this incredible privilege to be partnering with the global church, but it's also responsibility. But we have to ask ourselves, what can we do to making sure that our brothers and sisters around the world are able to continue to share their faith with the people around them? So fill it out. You can do it online. Come see me. There's a uh, great banner at the back there. Um, you can come ask me questions you have. Any questions you, you want to ask me about where your giving is going, I'm happy to chat with you. And um, before we finish, let me just pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the opportunity we have to come together. To hear about the reality of, of your church around the world. Their ruthless determination to praise you. And I pray that today we... We were inspired to making sure that our response, no matter the circumstances, is to praise you. Making sure that the people around us can hear our praises to you, can be changed and transformed through our praises of you. Lord, I pray that you would show us in our lives, in our personal lives, where we need to know you deeper on a personal level so that we can tell the people around us who you are and what you've done in our lives passionately as Helen, Khan, and the people around the world are doing it. Lord, I pray that you would show us what we can do today to support our brothers and sisters in need. In Jesus' name.
Amen. so much, Gabe. Thank you. That was awesome. How encouraging is that? Just wonderful. And again, if you'd like to um, 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 partner with Open Doors, we really encourage you with that. If also you'd like to make a cash um, contribution today, there's the FPOS machine at the information counter. Just put on that Open Doors as well. But we so, so look forward to tonight as well. We're going to be interviewing Gabe tonight, seeing how he came to faith, how he got involved in Open Doors. It'd be a great night to invite some friends to come along. We're going to finish with church news. If we could just run that now, crew, that would be great. Thank you.